Sydney and I were on a, uh, a biblical counselling uh, thing up in Sydney for three days of living and it was a pretty amazing thing in that um, you've got about 60 people there, there are pastors, there are people within the church and we were doing marriage counselling, biblical counselling and it was just wonderful to be in that sort of group of people and we were in triads as well and we would be counselling each other and you become aware how broken a person you are yourself uh, uh, that each of us, whether we're pastors, whoever we are, we're, we're broken people who just need the Lord the whole time. And I, I went from that um, conference, I landed on the plane, then literally got in a car and drove to Dalesford to my other job where there was another conference going on. And it was like going from one extreme to the other because it's a secular company and uh, some of the things that happened, things that are said. Uh, it just At one stage I was sitting in this conference and looking at these people who I really like. I really like them a bunch. And I was nearly in tears just realising that uh, they're not saved, uh, that there is no uh, hope in their life. And it's just, I've got to tell you, it's just really nice being with you guys. Really, really good. And that's not a proud thing we should be proud of, but the reality is that uh, we, we meet together, we encourage each other, and uh, we learn about God. I'm going to ask you this morning to open your spiritual ears up. If you belong to Christ, open your ears up and hear what he's saying today through his word. And if you don't know him, and you're sitting on your phone pretending that you're reading through the Bible, but I know you found a Pokemon in the Blue Rune or something rather. Listen to what's going on uh, here. Uh, if you get your Bible ready, Acts chapter 24, just a short passage today. Acts chapter 24, 25 and 26. Okay, see how we go with all this. It's been a bit of a challenge trying to work out uh, how this all goes, but um, it's neat. Let me start. There's a, uh, a few years ago, there's a, a young boy who was asked to take the stand in a court case where his father was on trial. And... Um, during that trial, the guy, the lawyer who was really at this kid said to the kid, okay, now I want you to tell the truth. And you remember you're under oath here. Did your father tell you what to say when you came on the stand today? And the kid looked at his dad, looked at the judge and the lawyer and said, yes, he did. And the lawyer went, is that right? Tell the court exactly what your father told you to say. And the kid said, my dad said, I'll be asked a lot of hard questions. But if I just tell the truth, everything will be okay. You know, this kid demonstrated a quality that unfortunately today is lacking. shouldn't be, but it is. Even within Christians, quite often, that is integrity. And it's easy to talk about integrity, isn't it? In 1980, in Sports Illustrated magazine, there's a quote that's going to come up on the, uh, the screen here in a moment. And it said this. It said, fame is a vapour. Popularity is an accident. And money takes wings. The only thing that endures is character. And that is a wonderful, wonderful, inspiring statement until you find out who said it. O.J. Simpson. So you see, talking about character or integrity and living in are two completely different things, aren't they? In the Apostle, in the Apostle Paul, we find this man whose life actually radiates uh, integrity, trust in Jesus and truth and so it's worth looking when you find somebody like that it's worth having a look at their life and seeing what we can learn from them that's what we're going to do today because unfortunately for many of us when it comes to integrity sometimes when the heat comes on the pressure comes on we sort of fall away a bit don't we integrity takes a bit of a back seat and we find ourselves telling half truths which just by the way there is no such thing we fall into such things as blame mode or we get defensive uh, too proverbs 2 6 to 8 I thought it was worthy enough to whack up on the wall today it's a good one for us to have in our mind for the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding he stores up sound wisdom for the upright that's us who belong to Christ 
He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. And today, we're going to hear a couple of courtroom situations. Uh, Some are formal, some are informal, where Paul's required to stand and defend himself. And we're going to see how he goes about that with integrity and under the guidance of the Holy Spirit as God shows his great love uh, for his servant Paul, whose constant mindset, you're going to find out, uh, is to um, tell people about the death and resurrection of Jesus and how they can be saved from their sin, just like he has been himself. So let let me give you, if you haven't been here, let me give you the Reader's Digest story of Paul up to this point, okay? It works like this. He's a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee, a strong uh, one in the law, uh, in the Jewish law. He was a hater of Christians. In fact, he was obsessed, and his mission was to hunt them down, arrest them, and have them killed or put in prison. And then very dramatically on his way down to Damascus to do just that, Jesus reveals himself to Paul in a very miraculous way. And Paul's life is changed forever and he becomes a Christian. He immediately starts preaching about Jesus in Damascus, telling people that this is the Son of God, this is the Messiah, this is the one that's been written in the scriptures that we've been reading about and here he is. This is the one we've been waiting for. And the Jewish leaders hear what Paul says and they jump for joy. Not They do not at all. They turn the other way. Now they want him dead. Then he goes on his three missionary journeys. And if you want to hear all three of Paul's missionary journeys and what happened in there, in a nutshell, it goes something like this. You ready? It goes, joy, sorrow, preaching the good news of Jesus, danger, visions, conversions, miracles, tent making, preaching the good news of Jesus, constant beatings, church planning, suffering, being led by the spirit, conversions, upsetting people, angels, prison, escape, shipwrecks, preaching the good news of Jesus, revisiting and strengthening churches, more danger, healings, encouragement, and preaching the good news of Jesus. So we find Paul, this walking, talking, preaching, suffering, first century reality show, really, with what's going on in these missions, with more plots than you get in one episode of Neighbours. It's huge what's going on in these three missionary journeys. (coughs) And with the missionary journeys done, then he heads, even though he's been warned by a prophet, he heads to Jerusalem anyway, saying that I'm ready to die for Jesus. So after arriving in Jerusalem, purifying himself in the required way uh, before going into the temple to worship, he's come with the purpose of actually bringing money and bringing gifts and offerings and to worship God. But some of the Jews from Asia, they recognize him and they stir up the crowd with these false accusations, saying things like, he teaches all men everywhere against us and our people and against our law. And they drag him out of the temple and while they're trying to kill him, the commander of the Roman troops, Lysias, and his soldiers intervene and they bring him into protective custody. But not before Paul says, can I speak to him first? And what does Paul say? Does he say, that's not fair. You guys are wrong. I didn't do that stuff. No, he preaches the gospel of Jesus and tells him about what happened on the Damascus Road. Every opportunity we're going to see that that's what he does. Lysias can't work out what's going on. So he binds Paul and he's about to flog him when Paul reminds him that actually I'm a Roman citizen. And Lysias panics because he knows you're not allowed to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't been uh, found guilty of anything. The next day, Lysias still trying to work out what's going on. He brings Paul before the, the Jewish leaders to try and work out what's going on. And Joel, Paul confuses everything because he brings up the resurrection. And you see there's uh, Sadducees and there's Fadu- uh, Fadducees, that's an interesting idea, isn't it? Pharisees, but there's this dispute about these things. And so it turns into this uproar. And again, it turns into almost a fight and they've got to get Paul out of there again. So Lysias takes him out of there. They put him in protective custody. And a day or so later, the Jews decide they're going to ambush him and they're going to kill him. But Lysias finds out as a result of Paul's nephew, actually. And so they pull him out of there in the middle of the night with 470 troops and they take him to Caesarea out of trouble. 470. Is Lysias looking after Paul here? No. 
God's looking after Paul because he's got a mission for him. 470 people to put a guy on a horse and take him to another place. That's what they did. Lysias, because he's so confused about what's going on, he says, I'm going to let Governor Felix up in Caesarea. He can sort this thing out because I actually can't work out what's going on. And then he tells the Jews, well, you go up there and you plead your case to this governor. So we arrive at chapter 24. We ready to go? Let's find out what's going on here. Now, there's quite a bit of reading, so good luck keeping up with me. I'll throw you a verse every so often. I'll put some NIVs on some of the uh, chairs to help you along. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea and with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus. That's as far as we're getting for a moment. Let me tell you about Ananias. Ananias was the chief priest. So a wonderful godly man? No, absolute rogue. Josephus, the historian, even tells us that he used to take uh, the tithes from the other priest and he would actually keep them for himself. He had a history of violence. We know earlier on that he actually had Paul smacked in the mouth as well. He is corrupt. He will take bribes. This is a man who just wants to get Paul out of there because he's threatening his position, basically. <clears throat> and this other guy, Turtleus, well, he is a lawyer, but he's actually an orator. So he's a great speaker. And the reason why they picked this guy is because he knows things about the Romans. And the whole idea is that he will go to the Roman governor, Felix, and he will try and convince him that Paul's going to make trouble for Rome. He's going to make trouble for uh, this area. And not only that, he's upsetting the Jews. And Felix has got this responsibility to keep the Jews sort of happy. So this is the situation. One more character, Felix. Now, Felix, this is really interesting. Felix is the only slave that ever became a Roman governor. Isn't that interesting? So he must have done such a great job coming through the ranks. No, he is a rogue, this guy. He has already married three different princesses to socially and politically get him to where he needs to. And now he's married to a Jewess by the name of Drusilla, who used to be married to somebody else. So he's coaxed her away. And so in actual effect, in regards to Jewish law, she's an adulteress. So this is the guy. Not only that, he is violent. In one insurrection, he, he crucified hundreds and hundreds of people. He will take bribes, he will kill people. And so Paul now has to stand before these Jews who are telling lies and Turtles who they've got to tell the lies and Felix who is a man who's likely just to say, yeah, get him out of here, let's kill him. So let's have a look and see how Turtles goes about this and get ready to get a vomit bucket because this is pathetic. The way he says things here is so syrupy to try and butter Felix up, it's horrible. Let's have a look at this. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. In other words, this is a no-brainer, mate. We're just going to get this knocked over and we'll kill this guy. Did you see the language he's using here? Oh, a long period of peace under you. Rubbish it was. You brought along such beautiful reforms. Rubbish there has been. This is a violent governor who is actually governing with the mind of a slave. Let's move on. Let's find out what happens then. So we have found this man. Here's the actual attack. We have found this man to be a troublemaker. Listen to the language. Stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. By examining himself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all these charges we're bringing against him. He's assuming the sale on him, isn't he? The Jews joined in the accusations asserting these things were true. These are meant to be the godly leaders. These are liars because of Paul threatening them, because of his love for Jesus and who he is claiming that Jesus is, this Messiah. 
When the governor, this is Felix, when he motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of you, uh, sorry, I know that for a number of years you have been judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defence. A bit different than Turtles, eh? It just gives him the facts. This guy is the governor, so I'm happy to make my defence. You're the guy I meant to make it to. You can easily verify, verse uh, 11, you can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago, I went up to Jerusalem to worship. That was his purpose. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charges they are now making against me. However, here comes the however, folks. I admit that I worship the God of our fathers. He's aligning himself with them. As a follower of the way, that's what they called the Christians back then, which they call a sect. Listen to this. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and man. Do you see what he's done? He's turned this argument from they're trying to get him for insurrection and he's going to cause riots and all those sorts of things. And he's now turned it into a religious argument. But he's saying he's really confusing Felix because what he's saying here is I agree with these guys. I agree with what's in the law. I agree with what's in the prophets. And Felix is going, what the? And the Jews are probably going, what the? This is not how this is all meant to have turned out. Then he goes on and talks about what he's been doing. After an absence of several years, this is verse, what are we up to, folks? Thank you. Very good. After an absence of several, several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts. That's why he came for the poor and to present offerings. So again, he reiterates what he came for to bring gifts, to bring money for the poor, to, to worship God. I was ceremonially clean, so he's within Jewish customs, that's good, when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance, but there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. You want to know something interesting about bringing charges in a Roman situation? If you bring charges to a governor and they're false charges, you're likely to be killed. No wonder these guys didn't turn up. Let's go on. All these, no, now he's talking about the Jewish leaders, all these who are here should state what crime they found me in when I stood before the Sanhedrin, unless it was this one thing I shouted as I stood in their presence. You ready for this? Here's the first one. Here's when he's going to start talking about the resurrection. He's going to mention Jesus every opportunity that he has. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial here before you today. In other words, it's all about Jesus. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, that's interesting, I don't know how that happened, but somehow he's got some knowledge of these Christians. He adjourned proceedings. Uh, when Lysias, the commander, comes, he said, I will decide your case. Right. Well, we get to find out in a couple of verses that he was still in jail in two years' time. So we know the sort of guy that uh, Felix is uh, going. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Why? Well, he knows he's not guilty. He can see what's going on here. He could see the way that um, Turtleus was buttering up in the way that he said things. I'm sure Felix was going, listen, I know I'm not like that. You know I'm not like that. Just get on with the job, will you? Okay, so it's not working for them. And Paul, staying with the integrity and under the spirit of Christ, is being able to make his defence here. And this is where... This is probably a devastating section of this uh, for Felix. But let's read and see what happens here. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla. This is his wife who he took from another guy who is a Jewess, who's actually under Jewish law, is an adulteress, okay? 
He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. Do you really think that Felix would have gone, Paul, could you come and tell me about Jesus? I sort of suspect that he had another reason. We'll find out what that is in a minute. But the reality is uh, that Paul, at any opportunity, is going to talk to him about Jesus. Listen to what he talks about in 25, verse 25. As Paul discoursed or talked on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come. Here's the three things he's talking to Felix about, okay? Righteousness. Well, how are we made right with God? The only way we can be made right with God, this is what Paul would have been telling Felix, is through faith in Christ, believing that he went to the cross, believing that he took the sins of the world to appease the wrath of God, that he was dead, that he was resurrected, now sits at the right hand of the Father and can forgive our sins. This is what he's telling Felix and Drusilla. Look at the second thing that he talks to him about, self-control. Can we go back and remember what Felix is like here for a second? Can we go back and think what Drusilla's done in her life for a second? Self-control? This is interesting, isn't it? And the judgment to come. In other words, what happens if you do not submit to Christ? So Felix falls down on his face and commits himself to Christ. Oh, hang on a second. No, he doesn't. He was afraid. He was afraid. And I'm betting that Drusilla was as well. And he said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I'll send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked to him. He sent for him frequently. Have a guess what they're going to talk about frequently when Paul is called before him. That's what's going to happen, isn't it? So why is he bringing him frequently? Because he's hoping that Paul's going to bring him a bribe. Why does he think he might, have a, he might have money? Well, I guess the only thing I can think of is that because he came to give money to the poor, he might think there's some connections there or something too. That maybe that's what that's all about uh, there. And so what's happening here? Felix stands for all time, as far as I'm concerned, as the example of a missed opportunity. He can line up a, a, alongside the guy beside Jesus on the cross, the one who abused Jesus all the way to his death, abused him, abused him, abused him. And the other one, remember what he said? He said, why are you abusing this guy? He's done nothing wrong. We're guilty. We're the ones that are guilty. And then he turns to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. And beautifully, Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Felix's fear did not lead him to repentance. It just scared him. He didn't take the opportunity to see sin, turn to the living God in repentance to receive forgiveness and the promise of eternal life in God's presence. And maybe it's like some who hear the gospel time and time again. Maybe even each week in church you hear the gospel time and time and time again, but you block it out because it threatens your current comfortable existence. You're sort of happy in the sin that you're in or the situation and you don't want it interrupted, not understanding how temporary this life is. And how important it is to respond to the gospel of Jesus. And that's why Paul hammers his home at every single chance he gets. There's a warning for us in Hebrews 10, 26 and 27. Listen to this. For if we go on sinning willingly after receiving the knowledge of truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying certain expectation of judgment and the fury of fire which will consume the enemies of God. And I'm sure he even wrote that in love, pleading the writer. But there is a warning in that too, isn't it? Felix uh, sends Paul away, saying that he'll call for him when he finds time. Uh, He's running from the truth after hearing a man he knows is speaking with integrity. 
I actually don't think that him and Drusilla would have been sleeping really well some nights after some of the conversations that Paul had with them. So we get to verse 27. It says, when two years passed... Yeah, don't worry. When this comes up, we'll settle this one. When two years pass, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. But because Felix wanted to grant a favour to the Jews, keep them all happy, he left Paul in prison for two years. He knows he's innocent. Do you reckon Paul sat in the corner of his prison and sucked his thumb and curled up in the fetal position? I don't think so. I reckon every time a crowd of people went past, he counted on his finger and toes how many people he's going to be able to witness to today. Because Paul's mission field was wherever he was. And that's something for us to learn from, isn't it? Okay, so we move on. We get this new guy. We get to chapter 25. And we now uh, find about this guy Festus. We don't know bunches about him, but let's see what we can read and glean from these pages. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus, who's a new governor... Oh, by the way, Felix, you think he just stepped down? Uh-uh. He was lucky he wasn't executed. His brother actually saved him because it's some stuff that had gone on there too. So he just basically goes into the annals of time, disappeared out of everything, a rogue and everything else, and had a, so many chances to respond to the gospel but didn't do that. And that's like so many of us, isn't it? So many people that we know that we uh, tell about the gospel but they do not take that opportunity when God may well be drawing them to himself. Three days after arriving in the province, Festus went up from Caesarea. Remember, he's in that safer place there to Jerusalem where the chief priests and Jewish leaders appeared before him. I'll bet they did. Oh, we got a new guy. Maybe this guy will knock him off. Let's try him out. And they urgently requested Festus as a favour to them to have Paul transferred to Jerusalem. Well, that's a good idea, isn't it? What's going to happen on the way down to Jerusalem? They're going to try and kill him. But Festus says to them basically, he says, listen, Paul is being held at Caesarea. I'm going up there soon. Let some of your people come up and we'll try him up there. So that's what happens. We go down to verse 7. When Paul appeared, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem, uh, uh, this is interesting, it's intimidating, isn't it? They stood where? Around him. They didn't stand over there, they stood around him. Do you think Paul was threatened? I think not, because he had a God much bigger than people standing around him, bringing many serious charges against him, which they could not prove. Then Paul made his defence. Here we go. I have done nothing wrong against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Caesar. Festus, now what he, what he wants to do here is Festus going, he's scratching his head, going, oh, I don't know. Look, I've got to keep favour with the Jews. So Paul, would you be willing to go down to Jerusalem and stand trial there? Paul's answer, I am standing before Caesar's court, verse 10. Where I ought to be tried, I have not done anything wrong to the Jews, as you yourself know very well. If, however, I'm guilty of doing anything deserving death, I don't refuse to die. But if the charges brought against me by these Jews are not true, no one has the right to hand me over to them. I appeal to Caesar. After Festus has conferred with his counsel, he declared, You have appealed to Caesar? To Caesar you will go. And it is a game changer because you see, once you have appealed to Caesar and that's been okayed, nothing can change from that point. Nobody now can stop Paul from going to Rome. And if you remember back in chapter 23, the following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem. So you must also testify in Rome. It's going to happen. The Lord is doing his work. Nothing can stop it and Paul is convinced of this as well. 
Enter King Agrippa. We are down at verse 13. Let me tell you about King Agrippa. King Agrippa is one of four Herods. There were four of them. The first one was called Herod the Great. You know why? Because that's what he called himself. That's what he called himself. Then there were two other Herods in the middle, and then there's uh, Agrippa II, which is this guy here. He's the last of the Herods. The first one, he's the one who got all the kids killed that were under two years old. Remember the Christmas story? The star came. He's worried about that. He knocks off the kids. The second one and the third one, between them, they chopped off John the Baptist's head, put it on a platter. They put Peter in prison and they killed James. These are a bunch of rogues again, but they have Jewish origin and background. And this is what makes it interesting as to what's about to happen uh, here as well. So enter Agrippa. A few days later, King Agrippa and Bernice, who's Bernice? Must be his wife. No, it's not. It's his sister. And his sister has been married already twice. One of them died and the other one she left. But each time she keeps on coming back to Agrippa. And it is widely speculated that this was an incestuous situation here as well. So we have a corrupt king, but with a Jewish background, and his sister arriving at Caesarea to pay their respects to Festus. Of course they're going to. The Jews want to keep in good with the governor here, and Festus wants to see them too, because he's got to keep them happy at the same time. Verse 14, since they were spending many days there, Festus discussed Paul's case with the king. He said, there's a man here who Felix left as a prisoner. When I went down to Jerusalem, the chief priests and the elders of the Jews brought charges against him and asked that he be condemned. I told them it's not the Roman custom to hand over any man before he faces his accusers and has had an opportunity to defend himself against their charges. When they came here with me, I did not delay the case, but convened the court the next day. That's the good thing about Festus. At least he didn't wait for two years, did he? And he ordered the man to be brought in. When his accusers got up to speak, they did not charge him with any of the crimes I'd expected. Instead, they had some points of dispute with him about their own religion and about some dead man called Jesus who Paul claimed was alive. I was at a loss to investigate such matters, so I asked if he would be willing to go to Jerusalem and stand trial. He said no, he appealed to Caesar, and that's the situation, Agrippa. And Agrippa says, I'd like to talk to, I'd like to, talk to this guy. And Festus says, okay, how about tomorrow? He goes, stick it in your diary, let's go. So we now find that we're about to enter a courtroom situation which is not a formal courtroom. This is just Festus, uh, Festus wants to show Agrippa, Agrippa wants to see who this guy is, but nothing can change because he's already appealed to Caesar, Paul is heading to Rome at some stage, okay? So this is just a hearing. But as we'll see, it finishes up with the king being put on trial, not Paul. See what Paul and the Lord does here in tandem together. Verse 23, the next day Agrippa and Bernice uh, came with great pomp and entered the audience. No doubt they did. I bet they had their robes on and all the music was blaring, all that sort of stuff, because that was important. And look who was there. With the high-ranking officers and the leading men of the city. So everybody of importance was there. The whole deal. At the command of Festus, very formal stuff, Paul was brought in. So this guy walks in with his chains, surrounded by all the most important people in the whole place. Festus says, King Agrippa and all who are present with us, you see this man. The whole Jewish community has petitioned me about him in Jerusalem and here in Caesarea, shouting that he ought not to live any longer. I found he'd done nothing deserving of death, but because he made his appeal to the emperor, I decided to send him to Rome. But basically, I got nothing on him. That's what the next few verses said. I got nothing on him. And really, it's not really reasonable to send a prisoner on to the emperor without any charges against him, isn't it? 
You're darn tootin' it's not. Can you imagine if they took Paul to the Emperor Nero, who's a really nice guy, and he, and he, and he said, so what are the charges? And he goes, I don't know. What do you reckon's going to happen then? There's going to be big trouble in Rome for Festus. Okay, so, and remember that Agrippa is out of this Jewish background. He has a Jewish disembowelment. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defence against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because, listen to this, you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. So he knows that the king knows this stuff. He knows Jewish law. He knows, he thinks in very much so like a Pharisee, so to speak, even though there's some corruption there. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. Then he starts to go into his background. He says, the Jews all know the way I've lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem, they've known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. That's what he was before he was a Christian. And now it is because of my hope, watch what's going on here, and now it's because of my hope in what God has promised our fathers that I am on trial today. He is not on trial because of insurrection. He's turning it into the fact that he's on trial. He agrees with the law. He agrees with the prophets. He agrees with the fathers. He's on trial because of these very things. Now Festus and Agrippa are scratching their heads as well. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled, 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 Jesus, fulfilled, as they earnestly serve God day and night. O King, it is because of this hope that the Jews are accusing me. Boy, all the arguments just went out the door, didn't it? All he's doing is agreeing with what the Jews and what in time immemorial they've been waiting for. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? Well, King Agrippa has to go along with that because of his heritage. I too was convinced... I love this section here. This is a section from verse 9. Paul now, what he does here, and this is a lesson to all of us, he turns the shame of what he has done in the past and he turns it to the glory of God. Watch what he does here. (coughs) I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints... Look what he calls them now. He calls them saints. He doesn't call them those of the way he calls them the saints in prison and when they were put to death i cast my vote against them remember the stoning of stephen first martyr many a time i went from one synagogue to another to have them punished and i tried to force them to blaspheme i tried to force them doesn't sound like he got too far did he in my obsession against to persecute them his own shame of killing christians he's willing to state Many years ago, there was a preacher by the name of Brownlow North. And Brownlow North, before he became a Christian, had a very, very checkered past. He had done some horrendous things in his life. One morning in Aberdeen, he was going to speak to the church. He was going to preach. And a man came to him with a letter in his hand. And he said, have a look at this. And the letter said all of these things that Brownlow North had done in his past. Can save a wretch like me. He can save a wretch like me you he turned his own shame into glory uh, for god what a wonderful thing that is and that's what paul's done here and we're going to read together i know you've read this a number of times but let's see here comes his defense again and this time it comes in the form of his own personal testimony let's start it for every one of us here 
who has committed their life to Jesus, even though with many of us it feels like we've got one step forward, 120, 50 steps back. That's what it feels like sometimes, doesn't it? Hands up, don't put your hands up. Is that the Lord God, just like he did for Paul, has got a plan and a journey for our lives too. And somebody sitting there saying, oh, not me. Yes, you, if you belong to Jesus for every single person that belongs to him. And at the high end of that plan is to be a witness to the world as to what Jesus has done and particularly what he's done in your own life because there's your best witness. How many times did Paul use his own testimony when he was uh, brought before trials? No matter where we are, what situation he puts us in, work, school, taxi, party, family, dinner, whatever it is, we are called to be a witness. You know, it's interesting. We don't hear a lot about what happened to Paul in Rome but what we do know is that when he was there... He was actually chained to another uh, a guard. He was chained. And I, I just, I was telling Floss last night, I, I just see the scene where the guy comes up, clicks the chain on, they sit down. Paul goes, so how's it doing, Claudius? Yeah, pretty good. He said, so um, can I tell you a story? Got nothing else to do, go ahead. Well, a funny thing happened to me on the road down to Damascus a few years ago. <laughs> and away he goes again. Paul is in chains, but for him, he's still on mission the whole time. It's amazing, isn't it? No matter who we are, God will put people in front of us, every single one of us that need to hear the gospel of Christ. It probably won't be Daniel Andrew, probably won't be Malcolm Turnbull or even Queen Elizabeth, okay? That's for certain people, and and he does put people in front of those people as well. The question is, though, will we have the courage to speak out to those who God puts us in front of? That's the one I've been really thinking through. Because it is hard. And it cannot be done in our own strength alone. It must be done in the strength of God, otherwise forget it. You need to be praying when these people come before you and, and just ask God for the words that you need to speak truth into these people's life, as hard as that might be and as much rejection as you may get as well. And then I started thinking about, so why don't we speak out? And two things popped into my head, because that's about all that can pop into this head at any one time. But two things that I thought of as to why people don't speak up. And this might be some of you. There'll be other reasons. There'll be a stack of other reasons. But these are the two that I sort of picked up on. For some, there may well have been a time when you made a commitment to follow Jesus and even repented of your sin at that time. You truly believed and you know that you're saved. Okay? However, now you're feeling a long way from God. You might even be trapped in some kind of sin. And so you feel like you're not living a life as a Christian. So you've told yourself, what right have I got to tell them? How can I tell somebody that Jesus makes a difference in their life when he's not making a difference in mine at the moment? I totally get that. And I won't get the rest of you to put up your hand who say, yeah, we totally get it as well. Many of us have been there. So many Christians, so many Christians have been in that position. You know what though? Satan loves us in this state. He absolutely loves us in this state. And I'll tell you why. When we feel we're not worthy enough to be forgiven and that God would never take us back because at that point right there, We're ineffective in our witness and we're often weighed down with his guilt. And so Satan continues to accuse us. That's that's what he's best at, accusing us and telling us that we're not good enough. And so often then we get stuck in those lies for a long, long period of time. You know how it works? It works like this. The sin comes along, you see it, it looks good. And Satan says, hey, God's going to forgive you, it's okay. So we succumb to the sin, we sin, and then straight away Satan says he will never forgive you for that. You are far too deep in this now. And we believe his lies and then we are locked. And I totally get that. However, here's the winner. God's word right here. God's word clearly tells us, although we still sin and we will still sin while we're here, 
that no longer that sin has dominion over us. And there's a big difference. Romans 6.14 says, For sin will not be your master because you are not under law but under grace, the grace of Jesus. Maybe there is some repentance and there's some reassessment that needs to happen right now in some areas of your life, mine, rather than letting it go further out of control. And I'm thinking right now that you're thinking of that thing because I know that's what happens to me when I'm sitting in a congregation as well. And if you want to talk about that, because that's what we need to do rather than lock it away, it's been locked away long enough in some cases, I would love to do that, to talk with you, to pray with you as one saved by grace as a sinner just like you are as well, struggling with the same sort of issues that we struggle with. We need to get alongside each other as a body of Christ. It doesn't need to be me. It could be anybody who belongs to Jesus. Just to pray, to spend time with, to hear the struggles of each other so that we can pray and lift people out and remember who Christ is and what he's done for us at the cross. The other question I'd quickly ask on finishing, is there an Ananias or a Turtleus in your life at the moment accusing you, sending out lies about you? It might be at school, it might be at work, it might be another situation you're involved in. How are you dealing with them? Are you dealing with them angrily or manipulatively because they're doing it to you in your own strength? Or is it time now to trust God and do things with integrity and in his strength no matter what that outcome might be? It's really easy, isn't it? when we put under pressure by people or situations to cave in and go the way of the world instead of remembering that Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Hebrews 13.6, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. He cares for us. He looks after us. Is he calling you to himself this morning? I don't know. If so, don't continue to ignore the truth of the gospel just like Felix. Don't hear it time and time and time again. Know that it's true and not respond to it. Let today be the day of your salvation because it can be. Today can be an amazing day for you when you discover who Jesus is. Or if you already belong to Jesus, today's a good day to confess sin and to be made right with God once more because you know know that that's what can happen, but you are rejecting that. That's why the Lord went to the cross, so we can be forgiven for our sin. Otherwise, there's nothing we can do with them. We need to encourage each other and know that even if he doesn't move mountains in front of us that we want moved, or if he doesn't part the waters when we want to walk through that, that we can still trust him in those situations. Even if the outcome does not turn out exactly as we want it, look back and, hey, you still might end up in Rome. Still might end up in Rome. We are his children and he loves us. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for who you are. Thank you uh, for this man, Paul, who gives us uh, such a great example of how we should be trusting in you, Lord God, and to stand boldly in your name. Lord God, it is only you that speaks when we are trying to convince people about who you are, Lord God. Forgive us when we try to do things in our own way. Lord God, would you keep us in integrity as we speak to people, as we go out into the world, Lord God, in the mission that you've given us, and that is to preach your gospel, Lord God, no matter who you put in front of us. Lord God, we want to thank you and adore you for who you are, our Saviour and our Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.